0: Hi everyone. This episode we spoke to Tom Hurigan, a senior BBC journalist who you can hear on Radio 2, 5 Live, 6 Music and much more. Our conversation looked at his health anxiety, and particularly how he is coping when having to be constantly plugged into the news around coronavirus. If you enjoyed the episode, please give us a rating and a review on iTunes. Hi Tom, how are you?
1: Hi, I'm not too bad, sweltering in my spare room on another bright, hot, sunny day. We're recording this at the end of May um, as we come towards another area of uh, coronavirus lockdown being eased and the only uh, time that I've spent outside today was in the queue at Tesco, so so longing to get back out into the wild at some point.
0: Where about, are you in central East London then? or
1: uh, In South London, um, okay. moved at the end of last year. Unfortunately, now I have some green space to look at, which is definitely a good thing. But we can't yeah. be out in uh, nature, at least I can look at it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, we always start by asking what your kind of personal experience journey with, with mental health looks like.
1: Well personally I've been living with health anxiety for the last eleven years, and in that time there have been big ups and big downs and I'm sure we'll come to talk about those um, but more recently, with uh, coronavirus, this has had a bit of a crossover into my professional life I'm a journalist at the BBC I'm also a newsreader on several radio stations, uh, including Radio 2 and 5 Live. So I'm talking about coronavirus at the moment all the time. And for someone who has health anxiety, where in the past I've gone out of my way to avoid looking at lots of stories about health content as much as I can within my job because obviously at times that's part of my job this has been a bit of a challenge and something that i've had to get my head around because i've got no choice this is my job and i understand that i've got to talk about this crisis this thing that we're all living through and impart very important information to the public it's just how my mind processes that and what i do When I get home at the end of a shift and how I react to that, and it's been interesting and something that I perhaps didn't anticipate at the start of this. Although I think, you know, for many of us, all of our lives have changed in some way in the last couple of months or so.
0: We'll come back to the the coronavirus stuff a bit later on. How how did it first? How did you first notice that that it might have been a problem?
1: This started. Uh, back when I was doing my journalism training actually, so this was 2008-9, and I had an infection that wouldn't go away, and I was sent for test after test, didn't really get to the bottom of it, was sent to hospital for a test, and uh, nobody could really tell me what it was or what was going on they didn't think that it was anything particularly serious and it was chalked up to being just one of those things. Now after the first round of tests because unfortunately there were more than one I kind of shrugged it off because doctors didn't seem particularly concerned and I'd seen hospital consultants as well as my GP so there'd been a mix of opinions and I thought well if there's anything to worry about, then surely they would have flagged it up and I'd be having treatment of some sort. So that didn't happen. Problem is with my job, I've moved around a lot over the last 10 years from radio station to radio station in different parts of the country. That's meant that I've had to move home. And so I've been registering at different GP practices. And most GP practices, when you go and register, ask you to have a sort of initial medical and uh, every time I was having a urine test the same thing was coming back up again and so a GP would look at the results and they go oh don't like the look of that let's go and have you tested again so I went into this hamster wheel of tests all along the same lines including some quite uncomfortable procedures Um, if you've ever heard of a cystoscopy you've probably had one I would imagine it's where a camera is put somewhere where you really wouldn't want the camera to be. Uh, so to go through that more than once and to again be told well we can't really find anything the results are just abnormal but there's no specific cause behind them and the more that kept happening my mindset started to change and I'm thinking All these tests keep coming back and showing up a a positive results of some sort. Is something going on? Is this something I actually do need to be worried about? And then, must have been about uh, five, six years later, I suddenly started having a lot of stomach aches and sort of general uncomfortableness, if I can call it that. And I started to think, well, actually, is this uh, something serious? I know that the other problem hasn't been diagnosed. But what about if this one goes undiagnosed? I better go and get it checked out. So that started another series of medical appointments. And in the end, uh culminated in having various procedures and checks, nothing was found. At the same time I ended up having another urine test during this process and uh I have more tests for that once again. And this time they found something. They found something very small um on the lining of my bladder actually. And uh, to see that after all the negative results, something had actually come back, it was a bit of a shock, to be honest, but it was the thing that I'd been dreading for a number of years. And so we get to the point that um, they biopsy it I'm put under a general anaesthetic for the first time in my life. I'm on my own in hospital, pretty terrified, to be honest. And after the procedure, they go, Well, we give you the results in about three weeks. Those were quite honestly the longest three weeks of my life.
0: I can imagine.
1: Um, And it's the same, you know, I don't see myself as a special case. It's the same when anybody has uh, test results for any condition. But the anxiety about what the result might be in those three weeks. Reached fever pitch and I could not focus on anything. I could barely eat. I lost weight because I just didn't have any appetite. I was always worrying about what the worst case scenario would be. So, if the result was positive, would that mean cancer, for instance? Would that then mean that I have to start chemotherapy or radiotherapy? Am I going to die? And I've always, ever since I started dealing with health anxiety, have jumped to the worst case scenario. And this, in my head, seemed to be completely rational. Something had been found, and there was, you know, a good possibility in my head that I'd be dealing with something that could potentially shorten or end my life. And when we got to the day of actually receiving the results um, I remember getting the tube to Charing Cross hospital. I don't think I've ever come so close to fainting as I did that day. I felt otherworldly. I, I, I just, I, I couldn't even see straight. And I remember it was an early morning appointment. I was one of the first few people in the waiting room. And I think sometimes it helps if other people are there because then you can put on a bit of a brave face. But because nobody else was there, um, as soon as I sat down, uh, I just remember going completely cold. And then I started being quite violently and physically sick. 20 minutes later, I got the result turned out that what they found was completely benign. And um, the surge of relief that went through me was enormous. For a while, I realized at that point that I had to do something about this because it was starting to consume my every waking thought, my every waking moment. Um, You know, uh, I'd be at work and I'd be Googling symptoms any moment that I had spare. And I decided that I needed to get some professional help with this. So I went through. Uh, several courses of uh, cognitive behavior therapy, CBT on the NHS. But um, it didn't particularly work for me. Uh, and we can talk more more about that if you like. Did, but,
0: did you do that online or was it in person? No, this is all in person. Okay.
1: So I had uh, several courses of CBT staggered over a number of years. And again, these were in different areas. Again, with having moved with my job, Every doctor I saw was uh, understandably reluctant to put me on medication as a first course of action. And I was always incredibly resistant to medication at first. And I thought, you know, I want to give therapy a proper go. The first course I had, uh, I didn't really gel with my therapist. And I think it is so important to have a really trusting, strong relationship with your therapist. It has to work. Because if you don't feel that um, you are in a place where you can be yourself or share the things that you are most concerned about or you don't think that you're getting the results that you might expect or might actually need, um, then you have to consider whether that is worth pursuing. So the first course failed and I'll you know admit that I I pulled out of it halfway through because I didn't feel that I was getting much out of it second time a couple of years later was much better as was the third course that I had which was in uh, 2018 first half of 2019 with therapists who really got me and I think the issue uh, the first time round, and this isn't to denigrate the way that therapists work at all, but I've seen quite a lot of examples of being given exercises out of workbooks
0: mm.
1: where it doesn't feel particularly personalized care. You're being put into a process that is a little bit one size fits all, and they'll try to adjust bits of it to cater to your specific mental health needs. But for me in that first case, it wasn't really tackling the issues that I needed to get a grip of, which were I'm really worried about when I have strange physical symptoms, that they are potentially life-threatening illnesses and might end up killing me. And I needed a way to be able to break that cycle.
0: Yeah, there's 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 a couple of things that I could that I'd pick up on there. I think not to to overly compare the situations, but the issues that I've had with chronic pain very much mirror that same pattern of thinking. That, um, after a while, when pain becomes chronic, you may have had an acute injury to start with, but that acute injury actually may have gone away. And you can have so I had you know MRI scans, all the in x rays, all the stuff to see that the acute injury had gone. But once your body gets into a certain pattern of worrying that something is there eventually that area kind of tightens up and then is painful and it's a kind of very self-fulfilling prophecy so that I think there's maybe an analogous situation there but what you say about once you do get help there are two things that that I was really interested in really was one the the medication aspect was totally different to what I kind of found it is in the very first thing that, that when I went to the, the GP was that I got offered, offered meditation, uh, medit- medication. Um, but the other thing was the therapist thing. And I think what you say about finding the right therapist is so, so important. And I was incredibly lucky that the first psychologist that I tried, we just got on like a house on fire. We had very similar um, kind of interests outside, you know that personal that professional relationship we were both you know mad keen on sports and it kind of the the talks we would have would kind of go from um a very friendly chat and then kind of morph into the more um more of the therapy stuff um so how how did what was different about the second and third therapist that you saw
1: what was different was that we had that rapport, we had that relationship, but I felt like I was being treated as an individual patient as opposed to just another member of a cohort going through a workbook process. Um, And I keep mentioning workbooks because in each of the three sessions of, of therapy that I went through, I was given these exact same workbooks. And I'm sure that anybody who has had health anxiety listening to this, know exactly the ones I'm talking about they have a number of exercises they've got kind of cartoons in them and the first time I was so rigidly focused on those at the request of my therapist um, quite a lot of it didn't apply to my specific scenario whereas with my uh, later therapists they really tried to make those exercises work for me looking at my specific habits trying to break cycle and by the cycle I mean there's a kind of um, horrible wheel of doom that people with health anxiety tend to go through you'll start worrying about a symptom you'll then start researching it you know Dr Google is not your friend at all (laughs) and you will within seconds diagnose yourself with the worst possible outcome whereas more likely than not it's probably going to be something relatively minor if anything at all But as soon as you start researching and you see these doom-laden prophecies that increases the anxiety more it reinforces the physical sensations that you're feeling because you're so focused on them you stop being aware of other parts of your body and that was a bit of a revelation to me when Um, I was brought in to do an exercise where I was just told to focus on my ear and to think of nothing but my ear and I'd gone in that morning with the same symptoms that i had been worried about for the weeks and the months beforehand and in those, I don't know, 30-40 seconds I'd completely forgotten about it because I was focused entirely on my ear and I think that underlines The power of health anxiety, and I hesitate to call them mind tricks that it can play on you, but the physical sensations that it creates are truly staggering. And I think we've come some way in our understanding of this condition, and that it's not and hasn't been for some time now simply dismissed as hypochondria, where people uh, think that you're fretting over nothing and that it's all in your mind health anxiety creates real symptoms the physical sensations that you are feeling are entirely real however they are a product of your anxiety if that is indeed what is driving them rather than an illness
0: that's exactly exactly the same with with chronic pain in that the pain is very much um, imagined is in it, it shouldn't be happening there's no physical damage or, or whatever but if you put someone in an MRI or a brain scan of the same areas of your brain would light up that to show that you are in pain so the pain is very real but also imagine so it's very psychosomatic and there's a really good um, my psychologist has said a really good story about a guy who comes in from a um, uh, from a building site and he's put he's put a a nail through his toe. And I might I might butcher this story a bit, but he <laughs> essentially the the on-call GP or the on-call doctor in A and E saw what had happened and noticed that there wasn't any any blood or anything. So he decided to to put him to somehow test I think he might have put him through through a brain scanner or something. All the areas in his brain light up to show that he is in pain. Um and the guy takes off his shoe and the nail has gone in between his big toe and his next toe. So it didn't even go through. But it was such a powerful, this brain played such a powerful trick on him to tell him that he was in pain. That, you know, he effectively he had the, exactly the same um, feelings as at, had it gone through his foot, but it had completely missed. Um, and that strikes me as quite a similar, um, a similar overlap between.
1: It's the, it. And this is, you know, a a really great example of how powerful the brain is and how it can uh, manipulate sensations in your body um, to completely transform the way you feel physically. And that's why health anxiety is uh, such a a terrible thing for some people and you know I over the various analyses that I've done and the relentless questionnaires that I've been given over many years to try and rate on a scale where my health anxiety lies from not particularly serious to all-encompassing is somewhere in the middle so I cannot imagine knowing what I do about this, how it must be for other people who are at the extreme end of the scale. And to be honest, it really frightens me because this is a really serious thing and it can have, you know, real repercussions and, you know, case in point at the, mo- at the end of the most recent bout of health anxiety that I've had, um and this was uh, round about last summer, I noticed in the mirror that um, I had a very small patch of hair on my face missing. Now, I thought nothing of it at first because I just thought that I'd shaved slightly clumsily and I thought, a couple of days it will grow back. I have very fast growing facial hair even though I look terrible with a beard so I don't grow very long. A couple of days later, it was still there, this gap. Um, And then I noticed sort of about a week later that there were a couple more on my chin. I'm thinking, okay, well, something's not right here. And then I noticed that I was starting to lose a bit of eyebrow hair. And at this point, I decide, right, this is something real that i can see because i physically got hair coming off in the sink in front of me so i better go to my gp and get this checked out so some my doctor was referred to a dermatologist and was diagnosed with a condition called alopecia areata now the word alopecia you automatically think of complete baldness and it's a progressive condition doesn't appear the same in everyone, but I'm thinking to myself, right. Okay. So I've now got this to worry about. Um, what do I do? And you know what? The first thing I did started Googling weeks <sighs> because that's just how my mind works. So having managed to get the Googling, the relentless internet searching about various medical conditions under control, I got really, really upset and really sad because I was worried that I was going to lose all my hair. And You know, for anyone, a hair is a massive part of their identity. And I'm thinking, am I going to lose it? Is this, you know, what's driving this? And so after that dermatology appointment where I got the diagnosis, I was told 90% sure this is caused by stress. You need to do something about your stress and your anxiety now. And this wasn't the case of see how it goes or try and get things under control and come back in six months and we'll review. It's get your anxiety in control immediately. Otherwise, this problem is going to get worse. So I went back to my GP and I told them about this conversation and they wanted to put me back in CBT. And I went. I've done three courses of it and it hasn't had the desired effect and the problem with just as a slight aside the therapy for me while it was really useful and you know there are some brilliant many brilliant psychologists psychotherapists working in the NHS and in the private sector I've had experience of both for me All that learning, all that work that we did was still pretty much just theory. So if you like, I could understand exactly what they were asking me to do. I could understand how they were asking me to break my cycle of checking and obsessive behavior. But I couldn't do it. I couldn't actually fight the urge. And I and whatever. At the end of the day, I still couldn't stop thinking about the risk that I might have a serious condition if there was a symptom that I was worried about at the time. So I said to my GP, I don't know really what benefit I'm going to get from another course of therapy. So that was the point where we decided to start talking for the first time about medication. And as I said earlier, I had been reluctant to take it. I don't know why. I suppose it was a slightly uh, bravado-esque, oh, maybe I can just control it myself. I don't need tablets.
0: Yeah, I think I was very much the same in that, that I I was offered it maybe three or four times before the first time I actually accepted it. And for me, I think it was, I was a bit worried that it would alter my personality and that... Actually, it would be more of a, a sticking plaster rather than addressing the root issues. But I think I think this might be about what you're about to say. But for me, I, I, I think it was very much. I was incredibly lucky that the first one I tried worked for me, which I'm acutely aware isn't the case for a lot of people. But um, it very much enabled me to actually do the CBT properly um and do things like mindfulness properly, which which actually you know helped address the root causes of stuff. Um and so it kind of helped me do those things. Um but I don't know if that's a similar situation to, to,
1: to- Yeah you've raised a couple of really important things there. Number one, we should say uh if you are in a position where you're thinking about medication you must have a thorough in-depth conversation with your doctor before going down this route. Secondly, you are completely right to say that for a lot of people, the first medication they try is not the one for them. Moving to a different one would actually be significantly more beneficial for them. But thirdly for me, Starting on the medication that I'm using, which is called citalopram, it's very widely subscribed, uh, prescribed. Rather, um, the best way I can describe it is that it took the edge off, and I started to feel better very quickly. In fact, within a couple of days, so uh, the chemistry in my brain has been adjusted since using citalopram sufficiently, in that now I can get up in the morning and the first thing that I think when I open my eyes is not oh god I've got a day of worry ahead that was exhausting and I think that was part of the reason that I was so stressed and anxious I was just totally exhausted and I have a very tiring job as it is and I work extremely funny hours so to have that mental exhaustion piled on top of the kind of physical fatigue of uh, doing a very involving job at all hours of the day was just a bit too much. And I realised that I needed a bit of help along the way. It's also important to say that it's not a cure. So the sticking plaster thing is so true. It really is. Um, I think I was a bit concerned initially that at what point do you stop? At what point do you decide that you know the medication has done its job and then what? Do you go back to how you were? Has your brain been adjusted sufficiently that when you come off, things will be better? Will they, in fact, be worse? You know, there are some very scary stories about the side effects of coming off prolonged use of medication, but it's completely different for everyone. So, I think for me, I got to the stage where I thought, I think it's worth taking the chance and seeing what effect it has, good or otherwise, and I wasn't hoping for a cure. And it's not, it's, it's not there to completely erase the symptoms that you're feeling. However, for me, it has helped me to get them under control significantly. And, you know, I feel a hell of a lot better as a result. And I think one of the things that is so important as we continue to you know, evolve as a society in terms of our approach to mental health, people far more open about talking about it now, although there's still significant work to do, is to remove the stigma of medication. There is absolutely no shame in using it. If you had an ear infection, you would take antibiotics for it. If you have a mental health condition, and a doctor agrees, that medication would be the right course for you. It is exactly the same, and if it helps you to lead a life that is easier in some way, then that justifies it by itself.
0: Yeah, I, I completely echo that. I think it was, I think it was uh, Andrew Flintoff, the cricketer, that said, you know, when he had pain in his knees from playing cricket or his shoulder or whatever he took a painkiller and when he was having his low kind of patches he took an antidepressant and normalizing it to an extent where um where the kind of reactions that both of us had um don't really happen and you see it but I, i do i also think it's important that you know we do emphasize that antidepressants aren't a kind of fix all um no, they are not. They very much kind of I think for me that it kind of numbs the very high and the very low um and allows me to do the things that I need to to progressively get better um so yeah I think that's important to say so at the moment are you I, I presume well, I'm not sure actually do you, are you going into work for for your job
1: I am, yes. So um, I work in the BBC's main newsroom in central London, the one that you see at the start of the 10 o'clock news each night. And it's pretty tough at the moment. We're all socially distanced in there um, for coronavirus control reasons, obviously. Um, But I'm still going in doing the job that I usually do, just to give you a little bit of an insight into my life. Um, I work three days on three days off those three days that I'm on the days are around about 10 and a half 11 hours each so it's quite a quick turnaround so for instance if I'm going into work at 11 a.m. for instance I won't leave until half past 10 it'll be half past 11 before I get back and then I'll be back in probably the same time the following day added to that I've got to keep across everything that's going on in the times that I'm not in the office. If I'm going in for 11 a.m. again, before I step foot in the door, I'm expected to know everything that's going on that morning because I don't have a specialism. I'm a journalist who covers anything and everything. So if you hear me reading the news on Radio 2 or whatever, I have to know about all those stories that I'm talking about so I can give the audience the information that it needs to know so that can be politics business the economy sports whatever and obviously now health dominating everything we're not doing anything really that isn't coronavirus say for one or two stories at the moment so before i go into work i will probably have heard at least an hour of the today program on radio 4 i've read every article on the bbc news website so even before I've done any formal work or written any scripts about coronavirus. I've already read a ton of it at home or heard a load of it. So that's tough. For someone with health anxiety, to now be surrounded in my professional life by a health story was pretty uneasy at the beginning, I have to say. Um, and when this started to build in March, you know, I remember it quite vividly. Um, I started to get a bit of a sore throat. That was switching back and forth again. Now it's interesting. Using the medication, I was able to resist the worst of the internet searching immediately, but the sore throat was hanging around for a while. So after a time I started to think well sore throat now does that mean the cough and the fever are just around the corner and if that happens am I gonna go off a bit of a cliff and develop pneumonia will I be hospitalized like so many people have been will there be space for me you see that's something that I'd never really considered before before now I always thought that if I needed treatment for a specific condition there would at least be room for me not necessarily the case now and if I did end up in that desperate situation like so many people unfortunately have in the last couple of months am I going to succumb to it? Is that so that is the thought process or at least that's the, the classical thought process that I've had throughout the last decade with health anxiety now like I say the medication what it's done I've been able to rationalise it a little bit more. doing the job that I needed to do to contain those thoughts and to make sure that I am in control of them rather than them being in control of me. So I'm still having them, but they're not completely overtaking my mind. But the worries creep in from time to time. And, you know, the fear was growing exponentially in my mind, really, when the number of seriously ill patients Was starting to rise. And you know, I'm in a business where I'm having to keep a close eye on death tolls, number of people dying in hospitals, other places, here and around the world. You're surrounded by it. And so after those three days, certainly initially having three days off to recover was the bare minimum I needed some of the day ones. I was mentally exhausted. You know, there were a a couple of sets where I just didn't want to get out of bed. Really. I just wanted to chuck the duvet over my head and pretend that we weren't all going through this. It's a, it's, it's a weird time, but I have no choice and I know that and I'm aware of my professional responsibilities. Um, so i've had to adjust to what has become for me as it has for many people a new normal
0: is that so i've heard a lot of people um say and it's something that i definitely feel that um i don't know if it would be the same with you with your specific issues but a lot of people have said that their mental health has actually kind of either plateaued or improved during this period of of being locked down? Because I think in my case, it it kind of puts a lot of things into perspective, but it also removes the kind of a lot of the expectations around what you should be doing, where you should be, all of that kind of stuff. Is that something that that you've experienced as well?
1: Yes. I can certainly, um, I can certainly see that you know there are areas of my mental health that probably have plateaued um, in other ways, though, I never particularly used to worry about the news stories I was telling um, in a way that I perhaps do now. I think it's faded a little bit as we've gone through the pandemic. I mean, it feels incredible that you know lockdown only began just over two months ago. It's seriously to me feels like about six months if not longer Um, and having got used to that balance of in passing the information and being completely surrounded by it versus my health anxiety and looking at it through that prism i've managed to get sort of a proper grip on it and it's interesting, you know, actually being out and about. I've probably been out and having a normal routine in inverted commas more than quite a lot of people have because I'm going into work, I'm commuting, I'm driving by car, so uh, I'm not putting myself in harm's way, social distanced in the office. Um, so once all those measures were put in place I actually felt pretty safe and I feel pretty safe now because I'm not coming into contact with very many people who could possibly um, pass the infection on to me and so that's allowed me to get a grip of the situation and like you say there's none of the other pressures that sometimes go along with mental health and expectations etc um, so you know in some ways Things are okay. But then there are other days, like I say, when it's just all been a bit much because I've just been surrounded by coronavirus. If you're not working in news, you can at least not look at the news app on your phone or listen to the radio or have the TV on. You could put something on that's going to take your mind off it. For three days, pretty much solid, I don't have that choice. And I accept that. Um, But as I say, that has been a management thing for me to make sure that I don't become completely overwhelmed by that. And it doesn't affect my work because as someone who takes very great pride in the work that he does, and I would never want it to be affected by, um, something that I've done. I would, I would personally perceive that rightly or wrongly as a, a weakness. And again, this is something that's come out in therapy sessions that I've had in the past. Um, it's it's quite the seesaw that I'm I'm sitting on. We
0: we normally kind of round start to round things off by asking um what your kind of what you do personally to look after your mental health, but I suppose it'd be more pertinent to ask you, have you changed the way that you look after your mental health in, in recent times?
1: Yes. And it started actually before um the pandemic began because I was quite clear that uh, along with the medication that could not be my only crutch and that I needed to do other things to go along with it. So I took a few steps. The first one was exercise and um, I go through phases where um, I'm very keenly running and then months where I can't be bothered, but I actually decided that I was after quite a long break from it, going to start running again. And then I joined uh, my local gym and swimming pool. I've never really been a gym person at all. So, um, you know, having your first induction on how to use a set of weights properly at 34 was an experience, but there you go. And the difference that made was absolutely huge. And the thing that I've missed most during lockdown is actually not having access to the swimming pool. I don't have any other means as effective as those 40 minutes where I dive into the water. And for that time, I can just feel my mind slowly working through the thought processes that have been running around the last couple of days or few hours. It helps me to process. It it helps me to focus and it helps to clear my head. And that has been such an important part of the last six, seven months, getting back into the pool and feeling really quite invigorated every time without fail, even if it was on a, cold morning coming out and thinking yeah you know what it's really worth having done that and a similar thing with running but obviously with the swimming pool being shut i've had to stick to the road but i'm still doing it and that is you know having the effect that i needed to have keeping me fit and also keeping me mentally active as well in the sense that you know those same thought processes are going on while I'm running and I'm able to switch off a little bit and not worry about the other stuff that's going on in my life. So that's one thing. The second thing has been, you know, and I've talked about this in previous podcasts, but nature appreciating, um, the outdoors in a way that I haven't been able to do so much in recent times. I moved at the end of last year to a different part of London where I was previously was a ground floor flat that overlooked a very busy road with absolutely no greenery at all to speak of. There was no grass, there were no trees, there were no shrubs. All you had was the sound of traffic passing and, um, very noisy passers-by at all hours of the day and it didn't help the fact that the flat just by its construction was quite dark so not getting a lot of natural light into the building so your vitamin d level starts to go down and you really do feel it and I don't think I noticed quite how much of a difference that made until I moved to Uh, My new flat, which is at the top floor of a a five-floor block, overlooking some fields and some trees. And if I look hard enough into the distance, I can actually see a lake. And when I came here, I don't think I had fully appreciated my surroundings until uh, the first morning I woke up and it was a saturday morning and i opened my eyes and the sun was streaming through my bedroom window which in itself was such a rare sight after the previous couple of years and i just stayed in bed for two hours i didn't move i just looked at that view and i couldn't take my eyes off of it and i i and it's it's kind of making me feel emotional talking about it now because um It was such a powerful thing just to be looking at green and to see nature. And at that time of the morning, there was birdsong and it was beautiful. And I got out of bed after those couple of hours and I thought, wow, I really have been missing this for such a long period of time. And I don't think I will now ever take it for granted. I'm also very lucky to live, I don't have my own garden, but I live next to a very large park. And having that on my doorstep, not only to be able to run around, but to just be able to take in the trees, the animal life, there's another lake there. It's absolutely critical now to um, the way that I spend my free time, particularly in lockdown, you know, that hour of mandated exercise when that was still a thing um, was such an important part of my mental well-being just to be able to get out there.
0: Yeah, I think that's something. And I know this isn't the same for everyone because there are various issues around um, who gets access to nature and in, in green oh, cool. spaces. But oh, something... Cool something i can really see that i really hope for as well is that you know after this all ends there seems to have been people seem to start appreciate have seemed to have started appreciating green spaces um you know the bird song at the moment and just the outdoors a bit more and i'm hoping that kind of transitions into after lockdown happens uh after lockdown ends that that we kind of have a bit more of appreciation for the environment and and potentially you know there's a chance for a reset on um, um on industry and and climate change and things
1: I hope so, and um you know I think one of the few positive things about lockdown has been our opportunity to do that because you know so many of us virtually all of us. Leading lives that were so busy, we didn't have time to enjoy what was in our backyard. So when we had green spaces pretty much as our only outlet, our only opportunity to get outdoors, we started to fall in love with them again, I think. And I hope that that has been rekindled enough that we don't forget it and we go back to how we were. I hope that's not the case.
0: Yeah, we'll see and just finally to finish where can we find more about you um about your work and, and all that kind of stuff
1: sure well i have a website it's tom h-o-u-r-i-g-a-n if you want to go and have a look and find out a little bit more about me um i'm very active on social media my uh, accounts are linked to my website and having posted fairly recently about my experience with citalopram i was a uh, totally bowled over by the response that I had it was beyond anything I could have ever imagined and so many people getting in touch saying that they'd never heard anybody speak publicly about health anxiety before or they thought they were the only person using medication to deal with symptoms of it so we need to keep those conversations going and if anybody wants to talk to me my messages are always open and you know if you need a an ear then
0: I am here. Brilliant Tom that's been absolutely fascinating thank you.
1: Thank you for your time thank you.
0: Hi everyone I hope you enjoyed the episode just a quick note to say that although the things Tom and I talked about we may find helpful we're not medical professionals if you're struggling with your mental health please contact your GP or an organisation like Samaritans on 116 123.